0: You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, you may find the content of this podcast difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. You should also be aware the information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Where a client passes away, their home may form part of their estate and then transfer through to their beneficiaries, who may then be able to sell it CGT-free. However, to qualify for the CGT exemption, there are a range of rules and timeframes that need to be taken into account. I'm your host, Craig Day, head of the First Tech team, and here to discuss this important main residence CGT concession is Linda Bruce and Tim Sanderson. G'day, guys. Hey, Craig. hey Craig. Now, before we get into this, the, the main resident exemption is a pretty complex area, and we could have multiple podcasts just on it. seems crazy, doesn't it? It's a simple concept, but the rules are, are quite complex. So today we're just going to be focusing on a beneficiary getting the full main residence exemption. So where the partial main resident exemption rules kick in, it gets very, very complicated, uh, and it's beyond the scope of what we're going to talk about today. Now, for Tim, for the CGT exemption to apply there are a range of conditions that we've got to worry about, and they are both before and
1: after death. So can you run us through the pre-death requirements first? Sure, Craig. Well, there's one of two requirements have to be met. So um, one option is that the asset was owned or owned by the deceased as a pre-CGT asset, so acquired prior to 20 September 1985. And the alternative is if it's a post-CGT asset, then just prior to that person's death, it must have been their main residence and not being used to produce accessible income at that time. Um, And it's worth bearing in mind that um, where the deceased was absent from um, that property, then potentially they can continue to treat that as their main residence while absent, either up to six years, um, for six years, Uh, as a maximum if it's income-producing or indefinitely if it's not income-producing.
0: Okay, so this means that it's also possible for a person to be absent from their main residence and choose to continue to treat it as their main residence while renting it out under the six-year rule, right? So this, I would imagine, could be really relevant where many clients who maybe have entered aged care facilities, so, for example, if the deceased had left their main residence sometime prior to death, and they go into aged care and they rent out the home. So is the rental income going to ruin the full main residence exemption for the beneficiaries when they inherit it?
1: Well no, it's not as long as that uh, absence rule applies. So as we mentioned, uh, a client can continue to treat their main residence as as their main residence when they're absent either up to six years if it's rented or indefinitely if it's not rented. Um, And importantly, any rental income is ignored for inherited main residence exemption purposes. So, for example, if someone goes into aged care, rents out their home and chooses the absence rule, and then, let's say, dies three years later, then their home just prior to death is treated as if it's their main residence and not being used for the purposes of producing income at that point. Um, But obviously, if they rented for more than six years, though, Uh, and they were absent, then a full exemption wouldn't be able to apply.
0: Okay, so that's a good outcome for people going into aged care because we we really wouldn't want possible main residence exemption consequences, you know, deterring people from renting out their home. Um, Okay, so that covers the pre-death requirements. Now, there are also two alternative requirements to get a full main residence post-death now when the property is being held by either the LPR or the beneficiary before being sold. So, the first of those is a two-year rule. Linda, do you want to run us through that?
2: Yeah, sure, Craig. Um, The two-year rule is relatively straightforward and we just really like the two-year rule. Uh, So, as long as what Tim mentioned earlier, the pre-death requirements can be met, that is, That was the main residence of the deceased person at the time of death, and it was not used to produce income. Uh, Of course, uh, doesn't matter if the home was rented, but covered by the six-year absence rule, then the pre-death requirements can be met, as Tim mentioned earlier. And so long, the main residence of the deceased was sold by the beneficiary or legal person representative uh, of the deceased state within the two years uh, from the date of death, then we don't have to worry about any capital gains um, uh, consequences because that's fully exempt um, due to the main residence CGT exemptions.
0: So continuing the aged care scenario, so if the deceased died after renting out the property for, let's say, three years under the absence rule, the property could continue to be rented after death, provided it's then sold within two years? That's
2: correct, Craig. So it doesn't have to be anyone's main residence during that two-year period. Uh, it can be vacant, left vacant, and it can be continued to be uh, rented out and deriving rental income so long that the property was sold by the beneficiary or LPR of the deceased state within that two-year period, yeah, the full residency exemption can be applied to.
0: Okay, well, so, but what if they're in aged care and renting the property out, let's say, for, you know, five and a half years? So, They've only got six months left on their six-year six year period that they can continue to treat the property as their main residence, even though they're renting it out, and then they pass away. Does that somehow reduce that two-year period for the beneficiaries to be able no, to No, it
2: doesn't. Uh, the pre-death requirements can still be met because that period the home was rented out uh, was less than six years even we just have one month left, that's fine. We're still covered by the pre uh, death requirements. As long as the pre death requirements are met, the beneficiary or the uh, LPR has that a two year period from the date of death to sell the property and get the main resident CGT exemption.
0: Okay, fantastic. So the two year rule is, is pretty straightforward. However, I suppose in some situations, there's going to be delays for a range of reasons, which means it's not possible to sell within that two-year period. And in this case, it's really important to note that the ATO actually can exercise its discretion to allow a longer period. So it's not a absolutely hard two-year period, and if you miss it by one day, you're completely buggered. Where there's circumstances outside of your control. So, uh, Linda, do you want to go through how that works in practice?
2: Uh absolutely correct, uh, Craig. Uh, I can't even see our name today, Craig. <laughs> What's going on? You know my coffee. Yeah. yeah. So, ATO made our lives a bit easier in 2019. The ATO issued a practical compliance guideline. That's PCG 2019 slash five. So, what it is? It um highlighted a few scenarios or the reasons where the property could not be sold within that two-year period. And if the uh, client's situation meets one of the conditions, it's called a safe harbor conditions, then the client can simply rely on the safe harbor and the claim in the main residency exemption without having to go to the ATO and get a private ruling. That's just saving everyone's time. Uh, so yep, yep. yeah, right? And it's important to understand what uh, the safe harbor conditions are. The ATO in that ruling uh, specifically dealt with uh, four reasons, if I can remember correctly, and recently, in recent days, because of COVID, uh, and there, all, there was all sorts of restrictions from um, uh, real estate um, uh, selling activities. So the ATO actually amended that compliance guideline and added COVID uh, to uh, one of the accepted acceptable safe harbor reasons or conditions um, to allow people to extend the two-year period without having to go to AT- the ATO and get a private ruling. Um, Craig, do you want me to go through some of the reasons uh, highlighted by the safe uh, safe harbor ruling?
0: Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, just um, quickly. Okay, cool.
2: Can. So basically what we're looking at is the reasons are truly beyond anyone's control. So for example, there's a legal challenge against the will or desisted assets. Um, the property cannot be disposed or distributed out of the state. Or there's a life tenancy um, granted by the will to, uh, to, to stay in the property. So that results in a delay in selling the property. All this this disease data was so complex and it delays the completion of the administration of the state. Uh, And um, there might be... you know, settlement of the contract of sale of the property is delayed or fall through for reasons completely outside of the individual's control, and also the COVID situation we mentioned earlier. Those are the things yeah. highlighted uh, by by the ATO Safe harbor ruling, and more important, and also importantly, uh, the completion of the sale must be beyond uh, within the eighteen months. So let's say, uh, first two years covered by the legislature and then the, mm-hmm. the further sale for the period allowed a period would be 18 months from that two year um to, to end of the two years if the property was sold within the 18 month period and also the reason was covered by the safe harbor conditions then you're good you don't have to go to the ato and get a private ruling
0: okay and if if it's going to go for longer, then you can apply to the ATO. Correct. In that that's situation. right. If yeah. the
2: reason yeah. is not uh, covered by the safe safe harbor conditions or if the completion of the sale are not covered by the further 18 months, if that's not the end of the story. Go to the ATO and get the ruling.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, as you said, we're largely looking at circumstances which are totally beyond the client's control in order to get an extension. So, um, like what you mentioned there, there's a challenge to the will or let's say, you know, it's taken a little while to find a buyer and you've got the settlement date and then on the settlement date, they can't settle for some reason, you know, that's completely outside of your control. So so you can extend. Um, I imagine, though, other reasons like simply waiting for the property market to pick up is not going to cut it in terms of the safe harbour.
2: It's not going to it's not going to make it absolutely correct. It's yeah. totally beyond um, the person's control. They didn't have to, but they chose to to wait um then that that's not covered by this guidance.
0: Yeah, and other non valid reasons I would imagine would include waiting for renovations um, to improve the sale price or or just the general inconvenience of having to organize the sale. That's
2: absolutely correct. Um, Craig, in this guideline or or guidance, the ATO highlighted a few reasons, just like what you mentioned earlier, uh, waiting for the market to pick up or do the renovation to increase the sale um, price. Uh, The ATO made it very clear those are not covered by the safe harbor conditions.
0: Okay. Uh, Now, if the client can't meet the two-year rule, there's an alternative rule post-death rule, if you want to call it that, in order to qualify for the full main residence exemption. So, Tim, what does that rule require?
1: Sure. So, if the pre-death requirements that we mentioned earlier are met, but the property isn't sold within two years or the longer extended period that Linda mentioned, um, then a full main residence exemption can still apply. But in order for that to happen at all times from the date of death until the sale, The property needs to be the main residence of one or more of the client who's inherited and is selling the property, the deceased person's spouse, or a person who's got a right to occupy the property under the will, so a life tenant, for example. Um, And with the life tenant, it is important to mention that, as Linda mentioned, um, an extension to the two-year period may be able to apply under um, that PCG that we mentioned where the life tenancy led to the delay in the property sale so it's potentially one or the other where there's a life tenant involved. Okay so from what you're saying there it has
0: to be their main residence at all times to claim the full main residence exemption so if we go beyond that two years has to be their main residence for that full period and I, I guess any period where it's not their main residence, will mean only a partial main residence
1: exemption is going to apply, just like normal rules? Yeah, that's right. It, it needs to be right from the date of death through to the day the property is disposed of. Um, and it can be one or more of those um, those people that we mentioned. But mm-hmm. again, the absence rule may apply to continue to treat that property as one of those people's main residence, um, I mean, which would be okay in that situation. So, As a a quick example, a beneficiary who inherited the property, occupied it from the date of death, but then a year later they moved out, rented it out and continued to choose to treat it as their main residence for up to that six year period. Um, It would be deemed to be their main residence throughout that entire period. Okay, so
0: we've covered the requirements to get the full main residence exemption on an inherited property. And where a client doesn't meet these requirements, they may instead get a partial main residence exemption. However, Linda, we're not discussing these partial exemption rules in this podcast. It's pretty complex. So therefore, it'd be important for the client to confirm any exemption that may apply with their accountant or tax advisor. Is that right?
2: Absolutely. It doesn't happen very often, but...
0: um... Uh, whoa, that's your gas, right, Craig? Yeah, that gas letting is someone ex- to, someone's walked past and he's saying, "Get out of my neighborhood. I thought yes. it's the
2: tax lovely gas, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're absolutely correct. Um, it doesn't happen very often. These scenarios, uh, like we most of the aged care clients can be covered by the six year absence um, period because that the average um life expectancy in the aged care would be two and a half years. But occasionally, we do get questions. What if the residents lived beyond that six-year period? and the home was rented right before the date of death. In that situation, I think, Tim, you touched on, um, the full main residency exemption simply cannot be applied to. Then uh, we have to look at uh, whether the partial main residency exemption can be applied to. Then that's when the things can get really, really convoluted, uh, depends on whether it was a pre-CGT asset, a property or post-CGT asset, uh, or lived. Uh, uh, there, how long it was used as a residence for the deceased, as well as the beneficiaries, etc. etc. So there's a reason, Craig, we're not covering the details yeah. today. Hey?
0: Otherwise, we'd be here for another yeah, three hours and everyone would be utterly confused. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that pretty much wraps it up. So obviously, if we've got a, a client that's a beneficiary um, and they're inheriting you know, someone's house, uh, then they've generally got two years to sell it. That does depend on a couple of different rules coming through. If they go beyond two years, there may be an extension there if, you know, they haven't been able to sell for reasons outside of their control or if they, in fact, move in or they have someone else with a, a life tenancy there. So um, really, really important concession. So good to to have an understanding of those rules. Now, I think that, pretty, as I said, pretty much wraps it up. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks Greg. And thanks everyone for listening thanks for listening to the first tech podcast please note these podcasts are designed for authorized financial advisors as a source of general information all scenarios considered during the podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited and Advantius Investments Limited accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.